heavily, I'm a clown. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Bitcoin Echo Chamber, the show about Bitcoin and Bitcoin geriatric water aerobics classes. I had Gary Leland on the show today. He calls himself the Bitcoin Boomer, but you guys might know him as the man behind the BitBlock Boom Bitcoin Conference. We had a fun and laid-back conversation. I sure enjoyed talking to Gary. I think you guys are going to like it a lot. Don't have much else to say about the matter, so I'll come back and talk with you guys at the end of the show. Let's go ahead and get right to it. This episode of the Bitcoin Echo Chamber podcast is sponsored by WTFHappenedIn1971.com. The economics meme taking the world by storm where all of us are trying to find out the answer to what the heck happened in 1971. WTF1971 also has a merch store now. You can find it at WTF-1971.creator-spring.com. I'll post a link to that down in the show notes if you want to check it out. Thanks for the support. Gary, how are you doing, man? I am doing excellent. Thanks for having me on. Oh, yeah, it's a pleasure. Um, so I got to be honest, Gary, I know, I know some things about you, but you and I haven't really spoken much. So I, let, let's start off by letting the audience know a little bit about who you are. Now, if I'm not mistaken, you're the founder of Bit, BitBlockBoom. Is that correct? I, I am. This will be uh, BitBlockBoom is a Bitcoin conference I put on. This will be our third year this year when it happens. That's awesome. So, so August 28th and 29th, I believe are the dates. 28th and 29th. And I remember looking at the lineup last year and you had just a stellar lineup of um, just awesome Bitcoiners speaking at that conference. Yes. And we have a good lineup this year. We've, um, we were going to expand this year. Uh, last year it was just one track or one room of sessions. This year we were going to, we were going to move to two tracks and do a second room. But um, the second room we were using was too small for we were going to do a tech track and there was too small for social distancing. So we've gone back to the one room format cause it's plenty big enough. The room is a giant room. Um, and then we will, ha- it'll have more people in it than before than it did last year, but it'll be one track instead of two. Okay. So, so a few of the people who are speaking on the tech track have been removed from the site because we just using one room, we can't have as many people as we were going to have. Hmm. So do you think that the whole coronavirus um, scare is going to hinder the conference at all? I think it has hindered it in the fact that um, we're going to be bigger than last year, but we're not going to sell out. We were hoping for 300 this year, and I think we would have made it hmm. um, at the rate we were selling up till March. So, I mean, doesn't matter. I don't think the corona is doing any more damage now. I think the damage has been done. I think the damage was done starting month because March because – you know, in March and April, we didn't sell a ticket in either month. And we were selling several tickets, I mean, every week easily sure. up until that. So yeah, that but a lot, of people were, it. a lot of people were probably thinking it'd be canceled or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we didn't have people canceling that had bought tickets is the deal. I mean, I had cancellations. Like I had four people that were coming from the Netherlands cancel. And two of the speakers from Canada because – and both of them were on the fact that they needed to be able to get back. Mm-hmm. Uh, people from the Netherlands, I, I don't think they could even get here. And people from Canada, when they went back, the two speakers from the Canada said they'd be quarantined for a week when they got two weeks when they got back. Oh yeah. That and they sucks. couldn't be, they couldn't be quarantined for two weeks. Yeah. 
you know, they wanted to come. It's not like they're going, oh, I don't want to come down there. I'm scared. They sure. just didn't want to be quarantined for two weeks when they got back. Yeah. Got to, got to deal with the, the bureaucracy. Yeah, and so I wonder if we weren't having any cancellations, we said, oh, let's go for it. Yeah. I, I wonder coming in if they'd have to quarantine too. Not coming into Texas, you don't. No. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. The thing I was just, a uh, matter of fact, I was on another podcast just a minute ago and I was telling her, you know, for Texas, where are you from? I'm in Virginia right now. Okay. If you watch the map at night uh, on the news, you, you see Texas and it's like super red, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and the red on the little chart will say a lot of Corona cases or whatever, the, whatever it is. But then if you look at uh, to them, when I sit back and think about it, I don't know one person that has Corona. I mean, not one. Yeah. And then I was asking her, because she's from Texas too, and she said that someone at her gym, the gym had sent her an email and said that someone in her class had had it, but she doesn't know who it is. So she technically doesn't know anyone either. So out of the two of us, we don't, neither one of us know anyone in the entire state that has Corona. And I'm just kind of going, this is kind of weird to me. You would think I would know some, I know a lot of people. I mean, I'm pretty much out there and, you know, I put together a lot of conferences and done a lot of things. I would think I'd know one. I think it's weird is all I'm saying that I don't know anybody, sure. you know, at all. I yeah. mean, I think we might be getting scammed, but I don't want yeah, to talk about coronavirus. Yeah, I don't either. I just think it's weird. So I'm not an expert and I believe in it. So don't be emailing me thinking I don't, I believe it. I believe that is true. I just am confused is all hmm. I'm saying. And that could be because I'm 65 and an old baby boomer. I get confused a lot. A lot of things I'm told. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to get back on your meds, old man. Yeah, I, I tell people I use that boomer card whenever I need to. <laughs> it's like a get out of jail free card, I guess. I'm hey, oh, sorry, I'm old and sorry, confused. I'm old. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I can't go into another movie while I'm here and watch two. <laughs> oh, that's what it was when I was a kid. <laughs> what do you mean I can't park here? Yeah, I mean seriously, you can use that boomer card all the time, and a lot of people go, "Oh, it's okay. Go ahead." <laughs> <laughs> Bless his heart. So, um, what? I want to know what's the story behind BitBlock Boom. Like, how did you go from um, just what what gave you the idea to get that started? Well, you know, we I had been to a conference. Doesn't matter what conference it is. Um, that's not a particular thing, but it was called a major Bitcoin conference. And I went, and I don't think I saw one speaker talk about Bitcoin at the conference. It was a crypto conference. They just happened to own a really good domain that had the word Bitcoin in it. And it was um, a state Bitcoin conference. Was there a certain state Bitcoin conference? And I was like, and I was expecting to be a ton of Bitcoin stuff there since it was the state Bitcoin conference. Hmm. But uh, the only time I ever heard anyone mention Bitcoin was when they said, maybe they would say, you know, I've got this wallet I'm representing and you can put Bitcoin on it. I mean, that's <laughs> the only kind of Bitcoin I heard. And I was like, wow, this, and it wasn't a good conference, I didn't feel like, because it was too many people that paid to play. I'm not into that paying to play to speak, you know, that I'm going to pay you $5,000 for a table, but I got to have the opportunity to speak. That's pretty rampant in this industry. Um, It's people wanting to pay to promote their products. And I don't do that at my conference. And I don't believe in that. You know, I've done other conferences that I've I've had and I don't believe in that. So, um, so I started BitBlock Boom and it was just a, really, it was just a crypto conference. Um, most of the people there spoke about Bitcoin, but it wasn't set out to be a Bitcoin only conference. It was a Bitcoin conference, but not Bitcoin only. And it turned out that everybody loved it so much because they all felt like it was a Bitcoin only conference. Hmm. 
and we weren't targeting Bitcoin only. We just wanted to be Bitcoin. So then we became, uh, then we realized how much people were enjoying being at a convention that was only about Bitcoin and they didn't mm-hmm. have to argue with people, which was best Bitcoin or XRP mm-hmm. or Bitcoin or Bitcoin cash. They could sit there and just talk amongst themselves about something they both believed in. And so we became on our second year of Bitcoin, more of a Bitcoin maximalist conference. And we've stuck with that. That's interesting. I, I think there's value in the, in the echo chamber, uh, so to speak. And that's, you know, why my show is called the Bitcoin echo chamber. Cause it takes a lot of energy, you know, to have to constantly go back and forth with people about things that you've already spent a lot of time thinking about yourself and, and you don't really want to debate with them on it, but you also don't think that they're correct. Um, it's a little exhausting. Yeah. So you want to kind of like give them the correct information if you're a helpful person, but you're going, man, I didn't have to come all the way down here to be arguing with people as to which is better Bitcoin or Bitcoin cash. Yeah. You know, so yeah. So now we, we, and actually safe Dean, you know, on Sunday we have a Bitcoin brunch and I was talking to safe and uh safe Dean and moose from Bitcoin standard. And he said to me, he goes, Gary, I got to tell you, this is the first Bitcoin maximalist conference I've been to in North America. And it was great. And I was like, wow, I didn't even think about it. I didn't realize that's what this was, but it is, isn't it? And then I said, well, I'm just going to go with that. That's just what we're targeting is, you know, because yeah. I'm one of those people, I, you know, I feel it's easier to uh, be successful in a niche mm-hmm. than it is. And some people don't feel like that. Some people feel it's easier to be successful in a big uh, thing, but I think it's easier to be successful in a niche than it mm-hmm. is into a big giant sphere. And yeah, I just got through with a conference I just sold last year that had, we had 3,500 people in Orlando at the conference. Um, and so I don't want to get a big conference like that again. Like Bitblock Boom, I wanted like 300 this year and I'll probably end up with 200, which last year we only sold 125 tickets. So we'll be way up from that. But I don't ever want this to be a big conference. I want this to be a conference that sells out every year, which we would have if that hadn't been for Corona. That's what I was mm-hmm. saying. And that people come to it and they just uh, know they better get their ticket next year because they had so much fun and they know it's only going to be 300 people. Because when you have a small conference, you know, you go, next up speaking is, you know, let's say, say Fadina Moose. We'll just stick with his name since we've used it already instead of trying to throw a bunch of names out there. And he just gets up out the audience and comes up there and talks. Mm-hmm. And when he gets through, he goes, sits back down at this table. And you know, during breaks, people can come over and talk and stuff. Where when you go, yeah, it is when you go to a big conference with 2,000 people, you hardly get to talk to the people. Mm-hmm. There's so many people wanting to talk to them. And it, so they don't even stay there all year because they all day because they can't enjoy the conference. Right. You know, because everybody's wanting to talk to them. Where BitBlock Boom is small enough that they can stay there all day and they come because they want to enjoy the conference. You know, and they're not like, oh, no, another guy I got to talk to, you know. So I think people enjoy that because I've heard a lot of people say that. Say like, oh, I was sitting at my table and I looked over there and there was so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so talking and I listened to all their podcasts. So I went over and talked to them and they were super nice and we talked for like an hour. Yeah. And I'm going, well, were you surprised they were super nice? I don't know what you're really getting at. <laughs> no, just that I could talk to them. <laughs> it's the conference scaling debate, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so it, it sounds like... Did you have a lot of experience putting on conferences before BitBlock Boom? Is this like a thing you've done before? Well, I was partners, uh, co-founders on a conference called Podcast Movement. Actually, I have that shirt on today. I haven't worn a shirt in a year. I don't know why. It's weird that, um, but it's, um, it was, the, or it is the world's largest podcast conference. Last year in Orlando, we had 3,500 people. Wow. 
And so I sold out my share of that to some big radio conglomerate. Um, and they were going to do theirs in Dallas this year. I'm not part of it anymore. But uh, they've canceled theirs due to COVID. And theirs is hard to do. When you get that size, you know, your people, you know, you got like Google and, and you got big people that are your sponsors and stuff and setting up booths and everything. So it's a lot harder to do that during these times. And a lot of people are coming from Asia, you know, that are renting booths and throwing big parties and things. So I can see why that canceled. So they just finally canceled it. But yeah, but I, I had been part of that for seven years, I think. We tra- that one travels the country. You know, it started in Dallas and went to Fort Worth. Then went to Chicago and then Anaheim and then Philadelphia and then um, Orlando. And it was a great conference, but it just got so big. And then when someone wanted to buy it, buy my part out, I was like, yeah, this is, this is a full-time all-year job putting this conference together. Mm. You know, when it gets that big, it's, I mean, you have staff working for you all year on a conference that size. It's not like you have four people doing it. Right. I, mean, I really did nothing at the end there. We, I did nothing but show up, you know, for the conference week. So actually, I don't know why I'm complaining. I actually just showed up. You know, it was all I had to do, show up and do some chit-chatting with people, you know, and some elbowing and stuff. So schmoozing around. Well, you might have gotten out of mega conferences just at the right time. Yeah, I think I got that at the right time because I got my final check uh, in February of this year. Nice. It was nice because it was a nice check. It was my biggest sale I've ever made or anything, so it was really nice. They wanted to own 51% of this company for some reason, so Hmm. um, two of us sold out, and um, one of them sold part of his thing, I think, so I don't know what anyone else's deals were. You know, that was their own business. But yeah, so I, I was experienced with uh, conferences. Um, so a small conference was kind of easy to put on. And like I said, I really believe in giving a lot of, um, you know, a lot of conferences sell a lot of tickets cheap and then try to make a ton off of big sponsors and then give the sponsors special deals. You know, um, like you can talk about your product. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, for instance... We have Unchained Capital as a speaker, some of, as a sponsor. But we already, before that happened, we already had a speaker that worked for Unchained Capital there. And then we talked to them. He said, hey, I think we might want to sponsor it. But he's not, a lot, he's not talking about Unchained Capital during his presentation. Mm-hmm. That's the real difference. Even if we did say, okay, you're paying to talk, he's not talking about his... Uh, his product. No one's allowed to talk about the product at the end. They're welcome to say, you know, I have a book or blah, blah, blah in the last few minutes, but not a session about what they're talking about. Cause to me, that's BS that someone's paying to come to an infomercial. Right. You know, yeah, so instead of having thousands of people paying a little bit, we have a few people paying a medium amount, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's not 20 bucks, but then again, I looked at that conference the other day that was scheduled for Florida I mean, uh, San Francisco, and it wasn't that far under what we are. And there's 25, 2,000 people that we're trying to get. Wow. Yeah. So, so I think our price is good. And how do you get the guests lined up? Is that something that you do personally just based on people you think are interesting or do they reach out to you? Oh, tons of people reach out to me. I mean, most of them reach out to me wanting to talk, wanting to come talk about crypto of some type. Mm-hmm. or something that no, none of my people are going to be interested in. Obviously they don't look to see what kind of conference it is. Right. They just either pay a company to find them places to speak 
Right. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. I get that too. I get lots of emails <laughs> like that. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I pretty much uh, reach out to most of my people, but you know, also from doing the crypto cousin show that I do, I, um, meet some people that I want to have on there. Like I had Isaiah Jackson from Bitcoin and black America on my show mm-hmm. month, month and a half ago. And, uh, Max Kaiser, Max was coming, but he's not leaving his house because of Corona. He was going to be a, a speaker mm-hmm. originally, but I, I ran into Isaiah Jackson and I did have someone cancel, uh, NVK, you know, with open dime and, mm-hmm. uh, isn't coming from Canada. He's the one that said, I can't go to, I got to stay in my house for two weeks <laughs> and sad face, sad face. I want to come sad face, sad face, <laughs> but I can't stay in my house for two weeks. I got a little baby and I need to be able to get out of my house. So I asked Isaiah Jackson to take his place, you know, and I had just met him and I knew he was a Bitcoiner. That's the number one thing. You got to be a Bitcoiner. Right. You know, um, if you're not a Bitcoiner, there's no way in hell, no matter what you do that you're going to speak at this event. Most number of people I meet. And like I said, the show, the show really offers you an opportunity, but like, Stefan Lavera, who can't come because he can't get back to Australia. It's the mm-hmm. same situation. I met him, though, last year in San Francisco at uh, Bitcoin 2019. You know, so I don't know if you're a Bitcoiner, I guess. You tend to meet a lot of other Bitcoiners. Sure, you know, yeah. And become friends with them because you have something in common. But that's how, that's how I meet most of my people. Is Most of my meet from the show. Okay, well, that's cool. So you're kind of, you kind of have the network, right? You're just drawing from the network. Yeah, yeah. Matter of fact, that's kind of weird. I got an email yesterday from a friend of mine who runs PodFest in Florida asking me if I would come on for 30 minutes telling how I monetize my podcast. And I was going, well, the only real monetizing I do is telling about my conference. <laughs> you know? So I said, yeah, it's pretty easy. <laughs> I mean, I do. I talk about my conference every damn show. Yeah. Yeah, all you got to do is put together a, a big, um, you know, multi- uh, multinational product and, and sell it to people. You know, that's, that's all you got to do. <laughs> all right, they want you to do, or I hear a lot of people talking, they want to do affiliate programs. You make money off the affiliate programs. I go, man, I don't want to make 5% off something. That's not worth my time. I mean, I don't right. have a big enough audience for 5% to be a ton of dough. Sure. I mean, I'm sure yeah. there are some people that do, like Adam Corolla. I mean, I don't know what his show's about, but I know he has a huge audience. I guess 5% on a referral program for him might be a lot of money. But, uh, you know, I just like talking Bitcoin. I really do. I like talking Bitcoin. Um, that's why I started the conference was to do a conference I wanted to do. You know, I don't have any partners. So this conference is what I want to do. And if I enjoy it, you know, I've always thought that I think everybody has a superpower. It's just most people don't know what their superpower is. So they're not able to take advantage of it because they're just not aware. But I think everybody has a superpower. It could be something that's really good and it could be something menial, you know, that's of no good at all. Like, Maybe uh, you could sit there. Maybe there's a guy who could sit there and look at a two by four and walk over there and cut it in half without even having to measure it because his perspective is so good. You know, and you, if you measure it, you go, wow, you're within like an eighth of an inch of exactly in half. Now, if he's a carpenter, his super talent will be great. But other than being a carpenter, that's a wasted super talent for any other thing probably. Right. And I think my super talent is being, I always have said this all my whole life, is being able to look at things like average Joe that I am average Joe. And if I like something, most other people are going to like it too, you know, cause I'm pretty average Joe. I'm not the uh, real smart. I'm not real fancy. I'm not real in need of a lot of things. So if I like it, a majority of other people are going to like it too. Cause all the average Joes are going to like it. And that's what I've said on my life. So my, 
my superpower is being average Joe and it's worked for me in marketing, you know? Well, it's not a sexy superpower, Gary, but I think, I think it's it not could as be good as being lucrative. invisible. It's not as good as being invisible or, or fast or, or super able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. But, uh, it works for me. I mean, you know, when I got on the, I started my first e-commerce site in 96, I had no idea what I was doing, but I just did what I thought would be uh, what I would like, you know, and I uh, ended up being very profitable and ended up doing a lot of websites and hmm. I've done a lot of successful things, you know, just cause I liked it. And I said, well, if I like it, the uh, other people will like it. I started podcasting in 2004 and uh, just talking about stuff I wanted to talk about. And by mm -hmm. 2006, my site was in Time Magazine's 50 coolest websites in the world. Wow. So somebody liked what I was doing. <laughs> okay. I mean, you know, and like I said, and I don't really design stuff going, oh, I hope everybody likes this. I mean, do, I've never, I've never done demographics or studied anything like that or done A, B comparisons. I just do stuff, you know, sure. and I, I've relied on my, my like common man power. Average Joe. I should have uh, I should have got that logo for Average Joe's Gym when that show came out, Dodgeball. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know a guy who had the other team. He had one of the teams. He had a show and I can't remember what team it was. And I said, That's the logo that you're using is from Average Joe is from Dodgeball. But it wasn't Average Joe, it was one of the other teams when they show all the teams in the competition. And he goes, Yeah, that's that's where I got it from. And I go, isn't that illegal in the copyright? He goes, hell no, TV movies don't copyright those logos. They just make <laughs> logos up. Some artist draws them up for him. And so he had, uh, I can't remember what team it was, one of the dodgeball teams. He got their logo and copyrighted it and made it for his podcast. Nice. That was the name of his podcast. And he got the artwork. He stole the artwork from a movie, you know? That's pretty smart. Yeah, I guess. Because I guess no one's, they're never using it again. It was a one-shot sure. deal. Yeah. So you really didn't steal it from someone who was like, when you stop my livelihood, because now I can't be whatever it was, whatever right. team it was. There's no spinoff dodgeball movie league or anything like that. You, you know, uh, not that this has to do with uh, Bitcoin, but I was at uh, Dragon Con in Atlanta one year. And I was coming down the elevator and um, Steve the Pirate in Dodgeball you know who that character mm -hmm. is? Yeah, sure. He's in the elevator with me. And I didn't know he was in, I had not watched uh, the science fiction movie he'd been in TV series. So I wasn't familiar with that. And him and I were just in the elevator coming from like the top, near the top floor. And I looked over there and I said, Steve the pirate. Cause I don't even know what his name is. <laughs> and he laughed. I said, was that, was that a good movie? And he was like, I mean, we stopped all the time. The whole way down, he was telling me stories about the movie. About five minutes, we talked a lot in the elevator during that five minutes. He was a nice guy, but that was funny. Hmm. All right. Well, enough banter. Um, Gary, I need to know, how did you get into Bitcoin in the first place? Like, what brought you to running Bitcoin conferences? You know, I had um, been told, I was first told about Bitcoin when it was like $100 maybe 150, but I was told that it was like online stocks. And I'm not really a financial guy. You know, I actually put my money with a financial advisor to take care of it for me. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't really much interested. But then I was speaking at a conference in Dallas and I was walking down the hallway after I spoke and a friend of mine, four or five friends of mine were in a circle. And one of them was talking, Tony Sakala, was telling the other three or four about Bitcoin. And I've been told about Bitcoin before and I'd heard it already from somewhere else, me another podcast. Uh, I think uh, 
um, Adam Curry on his podcast, I heard him talking about it. Someone gave him 33 Bitcoins when it was like 50 cents as a tip. And he was always talking about it. Oh yeah, this stuff's going to be worth a million dollars. And uh, so then, so that I stopped to listen basically to him explaining and I'd missed the first half. So he explained it and they all walked away and said, Tony, tell me the scoop on this. I didn't get in it. And so we went and sat on the couch and I think it was maybe one o'clock. We talked till four o'clock about it. And I went home and on the way home, I downloaded uh, some podcasts on my phone and started listening on the way home. And I called him up and said, hey, I want to come back tomorrow and talk about it. And he said, well, I got some machines mining some stuff at my home. Do you want to come see those? I said, sure. So I went to his house, spent the whole day, you know, at his house uh, with him and his wife. And he was telling me all about it. And I think I bought my first Bitcoin. That was Saturday and Sunday. I think I bought my first Bitcoin on Monday. What time frame was this? This was uh, 97, maybe August. It had just dipped down to about 3,500. You know, it was a dip down to about 3,500. I think it was 2017, August 2017. Okay, okay. August 17, 18. Yeah, yeah. Because I'd been doing it about a year when I did BitBlock Boom the first time. And this is our third year. So BitBlock Boom first time would have been 18. You know, August of 2018 and 19 was last year and 20s this year. Sure. Okay. So, <clears throat> so actually I, I did a conference pretty quick for just learning. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. In, in yeah, all you, hindsight. <laughs> you wasted no time. Yeah. So we just jump and do stuff. Don't waste any time getting ready. Oh yeah. I tend to agree with that. Um, and I feel like you have a unique perspective, right? Because of your, your demographic. Um, you guys don't have the best reputation online when it comes to understanding technological innovation and I actually think that that's weird because a lot of people look at the millennial generation and they say, oh, you know, they're the internet natives. You know, they just, they just get it. They were born into it. Um, but I look at the boomer generation too and, and Gen X as well. And they lived through the evolution. You could argue like the, the steepest acceleration of technology changing the world throughout their lifetime. Um, do you really think that the whole oh, boomers just don't get it meme is real or why are you different, you know? I, I think, well, first of all, I wish they had computers when I was in school. God, I would have died to had a computer when I was a kid. But, you know, I bought my com- first computer, I think, in 83. I bought the first Macs that came out. Uh, they didn't have a hard drive. <laughs> Everything was on disk. But, you know, my friends that are boomers, most of them are not very tech savvy at all. I mean, like my best friend, I just got him into Bitcoin within the last few months. I think all he really uses his computer for, I'm sure he uses it for more, but I think the number one thing he uses his computer for is to copy jokes off the internet and email them to his friends. <laughs> I mean, and I never open his jokes because I don't know what in the hell is in those email attachments he's sending and neither does he. So he always goes, how'd you like that one? <laughs> I'm sorry, Mark. I, I didn't see it, you know? So uh, he's quit sending them to me because I never open them, I guess. Um, but uh, I, I think that's true to a degree. A lot of them, the only time they really use a computer for the most part, and it's probably changing a little bit, is with iPads and iPhones, if you want to count those as computers. Mm-hmm. you know. But that's what really got them into computer was iPhones. Mm-hmm. And then they maybe not don't know how to use their iPhone that like, well like my wife does. You know, doesn't know how to use hers real well. So I think that could be a true statement. I, I don't think they're that far off. Um, the statement I hear more often is how they ruined the world with their greediness and stuff. Do you think that's true? Well, I think we had it better than your generation has it. I mean, um, you know, I I saw a thing the other day that the boomers, when they were 30, owned 
don't hold me to these numbers because I don't, I, I remember things, but not perfect detail, but maybe it was like the boomers at, at the age of 30 held 20% of the U S wealth where kids today in their thirties own 3%. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if your generation is owning eight times as much wealth or six times, you're probably going to have things that are going to be a little better for your opportunities. I mean, my God, college you could wash dishes in the school cafeteria and work your way through college right you know and then that that would be at a d1 school even you know Mm -hmm. you could do it now forget about that i mean you know you might have to pay them to wash the damn dishes even because that might be a course or something part of tuition (laughs) yeah so i i think that um i think we definitely had it better I, i think probably the boomers came through society and we're still going through it. We're exiting society now, but we may have been, and I'm not saying this from a a standpoint of, of trying to say, Oh, whoop-de-doo, you know, we're great. I'm just saying we may have had the most advantages, more advantages than any society ever, you know, and since, sure. You know, um, because we just did. I mean, I came from personally from, I didn't come from a rich background, but gosh, I didn't even go to high school, but I was able to get out of high school. I mean, I didn't go to college, went to high school, excuse me, but I didn't, I was able to get out of school and become successful very easily. And, you know, ending up making a decent living, you know, where a lot of people have a hard time doing that now because they're so far in debt, you know, they I think, think they got to go to college and a lot of them don't have to go to college. Damn, I didn't want to college. I'll tell you right now, you don't have to go. Especially now, you really don't need to go anymore. I think it's a scam these days. Yeah, if you need to be educated on something or you want to learn how to do something, just put in the time. It's All the information is out there for oh, you yeah. for free. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, th- there's, I, I've, I've found there's this mistaken impression uh, in my generation, particularly more so in the younger generation, that the boomers were complicit, um, that, that the, it was their greed right? That drove the world to the place that it is today. And they were complicit in this, that they had a hand in it. Um, you know, my, my friend Ben and I, we don't really, we like to make a distinction, right? That, that the boomers were beneficiaries of um, huge asset inflation, you know, created by all the money that they've printed, particularly in the last 50 years. Um, and they were just playing the game, right? And Ben always likes to say, don't hate the player, hate the game, or don't hate the player, change the game. Um, because, just because the boomers were around, right? They were buying assets because that's what you do. And those assets just happened to go up in value quite a lot. It's not their fault that their house became worth a million dollars, their $3,000 California bungalow. Um, yeah, I have to agree with your friend. That's a pretty good way to put it. I mean, that's a real good way to put it. You know, for instance, I always say, give me time. I said, man, I was in third grade when they took the silver out of the quarters. And I was in ninth grade when they took the gold out of the dollar. I didn't have a whole bunch to do with it. You know, I mean, you know, so to be, so to say an understory, but it's like, I saw someone talking the other day about greed on TV. Cause I see a lot of this. I, I, I decided to take the label of the Bitcoin boomer. Cause I saw everybody saying, okay, boomer and people being upset about it. I was going, I don't know what people would be upset. I mean, they're a boomer and that just means you're old. I mean, you know, so you're saying, okay, old person. I said, do they not look in the mirror and realize how old they are? I see myself every day. I know I'm old. I mean, I don't have to act old, but uh, I don't have to think old, but I am old. No matter what. You go playing the boomer card again. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. But but I think that, um, see, see, I'm old now. I forgot where I was going with that. But I didn't have a lot to do with the 
the situation being like it is. Uh, it happened sure. when I was a little kid, you know, but, I, but I'm certainly, oh, I know I was going to say, see the boomer and me lost my track there. I saw the show about people talking about greed the other day, how greedy the boomers were. And the guy says, well, you're greedy too. Everybody's greedy. Oh, and I'm greedy. I was going, you couldn't tell me if in the middle of that crowd, you dropped 500 gold coins and walked away. You're not going to start picking those up as fast as you can. Right. You know, you're going to be greedy. You know, you're going to go, oh my God, free. He said, here's 500 gold coins. Everyone can have these. You threw them on the ground. You start picking them up. You're greedy. You know, uh, people want things. I mean, maybe they want them to different extents or different levels or, but people want things. I mean, there's the, you know, what is it? Laszlo's hierarchy of needs. <laughs> you want shelter, you want food, you want water. There are things you want, you know, and things that you want change in value according to where you're at in the times right now where you're sitting at water doesn't have too much of a value to you but believe me if you were in the sahara desert somehow you're on a vacation in the car you're taking a trip across the sahara and your bus broke or your car broke and you were walking for three days in the desert you pay a lot of money for that bottle of water you know oh, yeah yeah now, that's probably the most common thing um that ben and i get on uh our website wtf happened in 1971 we get that answer a lot when when people try to answer the question they say greed greed happened in 1971 like look at all the charts um things went crazy like corporate greed uh boomer greed i'm like were people not greedy until 1971 <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Did, really. was that not a thing what happened before the depression oh my gosh they were buying stocks like the part even the shoeshine boys were buying stocks right I mean, jack kennedy you know, John F. Kennedy's father said, oh, he said, time for me to get out of the market when my shoeshine boy starts telling me what to do. And they were getting together. And, you know, if you've watched any documentaries on those, they were, those big cats were getting together, buying, all going in and buying a stock and then announcing that was the stock to buy. Mm -hmm. And as everybody bought it because they were greedy, they sold theirs into it because they were greedy. Yeah, this greedy's been around a long time. Nothing new under the sun. It's like standing in line. It's been around a long time. <laughs> so being that you were alive um, at the time that the Bretton Woods ended, and I like to ask people this question because I wasn't around. I know you were young, but do you remember that incident at all? Like, was it just, was it in the news? Were your parents talking about it? I remember it on the news, we watched the news every night at our house. We did. My dad came home from work at 530 and we ate dinner. And that's when the news was coming on. Or you got about five and we were, so we were, we watched the news every night it was on TV. And I do remember the announcement that gold, uh, the dollar had been taken off the gold standard. Cause, cause I knew that. That's the only reason I knew that. I knew that my whole life. And I remember that watching that on the uh, news, the announcement on uh, Nixon had taken it off, but it wasn't like, you know, in detail, like you and I would go into it. What happened in Bretton Woods agreement, you know, was canceled. I, I didn't know of that agreement. Mm -hmm. I just knew the dollar wasn't on gold, you know, pegged to gold anymore. There was just an, from my memory, you know, of being a kid. Do you remember how people reacted to that? Did they, did they seem to care? No one. I don't remember anyone. I don't remember anyone re reacting. Yeah. But you got to remember though, I graduated high school in 73. So I was only like 16. So finance wasn't a big deal of mine. Sure. But I do remember it being on the news. I definitely remember that. But I don't remember any. My parents didn't care one way or another. Hmm. You know, but my parents were manual laborers. I wasn't, they weren't financial people. Ben and I's theory has been that uh, because people had disassociated the dollar from gold for so long in their minds, because they were used to just, oh, paper is money. I, I pay my bills with these little notes. Um, 
it, it didn't really matter to them anymore because you know, the paper is still the same. You know, I can still pay my bills and buy my groceries and um, that's all I need to do. Yeah, I would, I would go along with that. I would think that was pretty much the thinking and still is the thinking. I mean, people have been using that piece of paper for a long time. Sure. People, oh, a lot of people, especially boomers, they don't think that paper is ever going to be worthless. You know, <laughs> they don't even, you know, and, and the thing is, in all honesty, we sit back and we go, and they, there's no way they can't say it to themselves. I remember when a Coke was six cents, right. and now it's 250. I remember it was 35 cents to go to the movie theater, and now it's 20 bucks. You know, so they have all these memories. Candy bar was a nickel. Now it's a buck 50 or whatever. That's probably two bucks. I don't know how to buy candy bars. So they know how bad inflation's been. And they have to know that during the first half of their life, or the first maybe two-thirds of their life, not a lot of money, extra money was being printed. Not like it has the last third of their life. Mm -hmm. So to me, whether they want to admit it or not, they must in the back of their mind be knowing that, <laughs> that things are getting real expensive. Sure. You know? do, do you think, um, you know, a, a lot of the boomers are coming up on the retirement age and they can start drawing pensions, start cashing in social security, those types of things. Do you think that those people um, are at all aware of the reality? Like they're, they're sort of teetering on the edge of that, that dream being unobtainable, that dream that they've worked for their whole lives. Uh, if the fed doesn't provide enough liquidity for them to exit. Um, do, do you I think, think that, I think that, they think it's going to be there for their whole life. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I mean, I'm, uh, see, I, I'm trying to decide in six months, seven months, I can start getting social security. Congratulations. Yeah. But actually I'm getting Medicare now. That's a heck of a deal. Oh my gosh. That's like, I don't know how the government can afford to pay that. Have you had anyone on your show that gets Medicare? Um, I think, I think you're the first. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Self-employed as I am, I and my wife, you know, we both work for the company here. Our insurance was 2000, maybe 2,500 a month with wow. an $8,000 deductible. I turned 65. I have no deductible, $25 maybe. And I pay no insurance. I pay, I pay, let me take it back. I, I wrote a check for my insurance the other day, Medicare insurance, my extra, you can buy the extra upgrade. For the three months, I paid $140. So I went from approximately over two over two thousand a month to like forty or fifty a month. That's and crazy. No, and no deductible instead of eight thousand dollar deductible. And I get all kind of benefits. I got I get my glasses free. I get my prescriptions free now, which I didn't before. I'm getting. Um, they say I have starts of glaucoma, mm -hmm. which I didn't know. I can't tell. So I'm getting my glasses, I'm getting rid of those for free and getting free crystal lenses. So I never wear glasses again the rest of my life. That's free. Um, what, did I, what did I do the other day? I went and got something done. Um, oh, I had a hernia. So I waited till I was like, uh, maybe like I was 64 and a half. So I waited a half a year, just live with it. Got that done, surgery done free. You know, um, everything's free. I don't know how the government can pay for that. Somebody's Much, paying for it. That's what I'm saying. I don't know how they can afford that. And then they got how many boomers like us, like me, are getting the same deal? Mm -hmm. See, we only think of the printing of the money and the wasting of, of the, the printing of the money devaluing everything. I, I'm telling you, 
the amount of money, if you take the amount of stuff the boomers are getting in just Medicare, oh my gosh, that's got to be killing everything. Hmm. I mean, but you know, I'm, I'm going to be honest, maybe I am a greedy pig, but I'm not going back to paying 2,500 a month if I can afford it. Sure. I mean, yeah, I'm going, oh, yeah, I, I want to do my part for society. Let me pay 2500 a month. You know, I mean, that's a hell of a raise. Sure. You know, so that's after-tax money, too. So that's like $3,000 a month. From, that's why people don't have damn insurance. They can't afford it, you know? Right, and that only incentivizes the, the government to get even more involved, right, as costs become prohibitive for the average person um, who probably wouldn't be able to afford that $2,500 a month uh, payment just for insurance, right? Now yeah. the government wants to provide healthcare for all. Um, and we, we saw how that turned out. Well, we saw how they did what job they did with providing money for college. You see how that turned out. Mm -hmm. We talked about earlier. I mean, that's not, I don't think just because colleges decided to go up. I think that's because there was so much money available to students that they knew they could go up. Right. Right. Because what and changed? What changed at college? They own that land forever. The building has been paid for forever. Mm -hmm. I mean, they don't pay taxes. You know, so what was going up 10% a year when I sent my kids to school? Every year, 10% more. I'm going, what in the hell just went up? Two kids in college, I'm paying more, and it went up 10% on each one of them. Yep, yep. Subsidy on, uh, on the cost of business, right? And, yeah. and the colleges have no incentive to provide uh, adequate value at market return for their, for their customers. So you end up with just a, a debt bubble. Um, I I just think that, like I said, I, I, and like I said, I'm not, you know, some people may be disgusted with that Medicare story, but it's a fact. Mm -hmm. A lot of money is being spent. You know, when I was a young person, I always said, I said, I'm never going to see this social security. I'm just throwing this money away. I, I'd like to be able to just save it. And I may not see it for long, but I made it to, all I got to do is make it another six months and I can start getting some of that. Mm. And if it, if it does stay solvent for a while, with now with what you're getting compared to what I used to put in when I was younger, you know, because of inflation, I mean, the, the, the worth of the dollar, I'm probably going to get way more actual dollars than I put in as to the value is a mm -hmm. different thing, but I'm going to get back way more dollars than I put in. And heck, you know, I'm 65. I don't take any medicine. I don't have any ailments. I walk two miles a day. I'm not overweight. Hell, I think I'm going to probably live another 30 years. I mean, I could die tomorrow. There's no way the government can afford to support me in this lifestyle that they're giving me with the medicine and social security for 30 years. Right. I mean, it's I, just, un, it's unattainable, even if they aren't putting money, ruin the money. Sure. I think I've read uh, 2032 is when they estimate that social security will be completely dry. And I think maybe it was 2028 for Medicare. Well, they'll put some more money, I guess. <laughs> that, that's the honest <laughs> truth. The real thing that I'm looking for now is where are the next big reorganizations of, um, of capital at the, at the government level? Because like, pretty soon they're going to have to start bailing out these uh, bankrupt safety nets, these social safety nets. Right, right, because they're going to go bankrupt. Like I said, that's, and that's what I brought up the conversation for. These social safety nets can't keep, like Social Security and medicine and stuff can't keep it up. You know, I read something today or heard something today that a lot of the world, not the United States government, is thinking about going back to the gold standard. Have you seen that? I, I've heard rumblings about that. Um, I, don't, I don't know how true I think it is. That would really affect a lot of things in the U.S. if other countries started using the gold standard instead mm -hmm. of uh, 
the U.S. instead of the petrodollar. You ever wonder why it, they use a petrodollar anymore? Do the I dollar, ever... The U.S. dollar is a petrodollar just to buy oil? Sure. Do I ever wonder why other countries are complicit in that? Yeah. Because um, that's guess, the only reason they have to hold dollars. Right. If it wasn't for that, they'd have no reason to be buying dollars. And a lot of countries don't like us. Let's face it. We've screwed sure. with everybody at some point in time. And we got some friends too, but we screwed with a lot of people. Let's face it. So you would think that that would be an easy way to kill us off. Without the petrodollar, you'd have no reason to, as a foreign country, to hold dollars at mm-hmm. all. And if foreign demand dries up, you better believe we're going to have some, some Weimar-level inflation around here. Well, we'll probably just say we're not paying off all those debts. We're going bankrupt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we like that mm-hmm. bankruptcy stuff as a country. Mm-hmm. So we'll probably be the first country to go bankrupt. I, I expect to see a sovereign debt default in my lifetime. Yeah, I could see that very easily. Yeah, that, that, uh, but... Yeah, things are going to change rapidly, I think. I think now we're at the point of no return. Not that we haven't been there for a while, but we're at the point that it's like everything we've been seeing since I used to buy a Coke at six cents, but on steroids, mm-hmm. you know, from here on out, if I can describe it that way. So I was telling somebody the other day, if you take that math and take a Coke being six cents, and over 50 years, maybe it's 60 years, 57 years, it goes from six cents to $2 per Coke. I mean, I don't know what the math is on that, but I think if you did that same math and did just that same exact inflation rate and started at $2, it's probably gonna be like $100 for a Coke when the, uh, someone who's six years old now turns 65. It's right. gonna be over $100. But like I said earlier, that's not a true number. That would be if inflation stayed at the same rate. In the first, till I was 16, the dollar was tied to gold, so it didn't have that kind of inflation. So in my first 10 years, it didn't. And then the rest of the time, until the last 10 or 15 years, the inflation, the money wasn't being printed like it is now. Right. It was definitely not being printed like it is now, till now. So... I would venture to say that Coke, instead of costing $2 now in 50 years, is going to cost $500. You know, it could happen. <laughs> yeah, it's, I it's definitely think it could happen. Yeah. And that's the things just stay like what they were when I grew up till now, just on steroids. I mean, you know, so you go into the grocery store and, and since they don't make, since those grocery stores don't like taking $100 bills, <laughs> <laughs> They're going to be there for a long time when you buy groceries, but they won't be taking cash at that point anymore. No, no quarters. Yeah, yeah. They can't get quarters now. What's the deal with the, ca- with the change? What's yeah, the I don't, I don't know. I don't know what that is. I don't know if it's um, – I've heard some theories that it's cash hoarding. Um, I've heard some theories that it's caused Why would you by, hoard quarters? I, I wonder that too. I mean, I've got a jar of change in my bedroom, but I'm not hoarding more yeah. or less change than ever before. I'm it's the same just, way. And every time it gets full, my wife takes it up and throws it in that machine and it counts yeah. her for and gives her some money. Right. Yeah. I've been trying to get Bitcoin with it, but she, she doesn't want to venture into that. That would be a good business model, actually, like a change counter that, that is a Bitcoin ATM. There's such a thing. Is there? Oh, yeah, I think yeah. Coinstar does it, but like, yeah. they probably charge you crazy fees. Oh, yeah. They're just, you know, like the ATM hit on the corner here. I went in the grocery store, or not the grocery store, the corner convenience store. 
by my office. I went in there to get something the other day and they had a Bitcoin ATM machine in this. Like, oh my gosh, that's cool. I'd never seen one except for at a convention. So I go over and start pressing the buttons on it. And if that day Bitcoin was $9,100 on that machine, it was $9,400. And so, yeah, they were making, so I'm sure Coinstar or something like that too. And that's, that's the premium that they're charging you, not counting the fees that they're charging you that they tell you about, like the the 15%, you know, cash fee or whatever. And then your, your Coinbase transaction fee. Yeah. That's just how much they're selling you, (laughs) charging you for the Bitcoin. Tricky. It is tricky. You know, you see the news that the banks can now start holding crypto. I did. Yeah. What do you think about that? Well, first of all, I don't know that it's true. I mean, if it is true, I mean, it could be just one of those things. How many times have you heard news about stuff and then it turned out a week later, it was all BS and everybody ran the same story, you know? But if it is true, I think it's a pretty good thing for Bitcoin. I mean, boomers especially are used to having people take care of them when it comes to their money. Mm -hmm. Young kids aren't, they want to be your own bank. Boomers don't want to be their own bank. Right. I mean, really, in reality, that's why they're so slow getting into Bitcoin. Not only do they got to buy it, then they got to figure out how to get, then they're told they got to put it on a wallet and they're told, oh, I got to do all this stuff. And they go, man, I can't even, I don't want to do all that crap. You know, they got the money to put in there. It's not like, yeah, not all boomers, but the average boomers got the money to buy a Bitcoin. And it's not our Bitcoin. And it's not like when they come home and they look at their portfolio, if it's down 1%, they go, oh my God, honey, come over here. We lost 1% today. You know, so for them to put 1% into Bitcoin is not really a big deal. You know, it's not like they're going, well, I'm not going to take a chance on 1%. It's just, it's kind of hard for them to do. Um, Cause like I said, they got to buy it and they got to transfer it and they're being told all this stuff. But if they could just go to their bank, I mean, if their bank was actually offering, like when you go up and you open a new account, you go sit at the guy's desk, Hey, I want to open an account at your bank and blah, blah, blah. If you could walk over there and sit and go, Hey, Fred, I think I want to put some money in that Bitcoin stuff. Can you put a thousand dollars in there for me? Fred goes, sure. We'll take care of that for you. Just sign these papers. If you could do that, I would think it would be great for the price of Bitcoin. I don't think it's very secure for the boomers, but I think that uh, a ton of boomers would start throwing money in there and go, Hey Fred, throw $5,000 in that Bitcoin crap. Let's see what happens. You know, just like they do with their financial advisor. And if banks can do it, it can't be too much longer till all financial advisors can do it. I mean, I have two specific questions on this. Do you think that these traditional financial institutions are going to be able to compete with some of the companies that have already been working in Bitcoin for the last decade or like some of the new up and comers like River Financial, um, who I've spoken with the, some of the people behind their company over there. I yeah, remember, and I talked to someone from there the other day. They're targeting um, the, the boomer audience, right? Yeah. That's exactly so that's what why they, they contacted me. That's, <laughs> I'm, yeah. I, that's why they contacted me. Let's face it. I'm an old fart and they're targeting old farts. And yeah, I'm an old fart talking to other old farts that understands Bitcoin. So that's why they called me. And they do, that's their target market and they're getting a lot of boomer business. But I think a lot of boomers, let's just put it this way. I'm 65 and I'm pretty computer literate compared to all my friends. But you get some guy who's 95, another 20 years might not sound like much. He may not use the computer at all. He probably might not even have a smartphone. And there's no way that guy is going to even care or know about River. You know, sure. he's mm-hmm. going to go to a bank, you mm-hmm. know, or somebody someone. he trusts. Yeah, like my brother. 
he doesn't have a computer. He has a phone. He just got an iPhone. He's 75. He's not, he's not going to buy Bitcoin and move it to a wallet to be secure. He's not, he's going to go to the bank where he has all his money and he's our investment guy. And he's going to go, Hey, what do you think of this? Or I would tell him you need to get some. He wouldn't ask him what he think. We probably asked for his advice. So I take that back, but he's going to say, Hey, put some of my money in Bitcoin. I'm not going to pull it out of here, pay penalties. You know, I'm pulling it out of here and then buy that Bitcoin where I don't even know what in the hell I'm doing. You know, mm-hmm. I talked to a guy that, that night that came over to my house with his wife and friends of my wife, and we were sitting outside drinking some wine, and he does day trading. He's 75. He's 10 years older than me. And we, he does trading. I said, are you into Bitcoin at all? And he goes, my kids are into that. He goes, but I'm not into that at all. And I said, well, how come you're not into it at all? You do a lot of day trading and stuff. He goes, I just don't understand it. Mm-hmm. So, and I know that his kids have probably, he's, he does a lot of trading, you know, financial trading to make money, but he doesn't understand it. And he goes, I just can't do something I don't understand. And I mm-hmm. can't get that at all. So he's just not capable of, under- he can use a computer. He just can't understand how there can be money. Inside that- the computer, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So between that and people not being, and the older they get, they quickly, their amount of computer literacy drops at a drastic rate the older they get. Mm-hmm. And by the time they get 75 and older, they really don't have much computer literacy at all, the average person. Sure. And that's totally fair, you know. But we didn't grow up with computers in high schools. Like I said, mm-hmm. I'd love to have a computer when I was in high school. My parents wanted me to be an electrician, not electronics, electricity. I had to take electricity, you know, for two years at a vocational school to be an electrician. And I can put it on my ceiling fans and stuff. So it's come in handy. I haven't yeah, paid that a light. I've never paid to have a light fixture or ceiling fan installed. So that's nice. coming handy. But um, yeah, I definitely would have rather taken computers instead of or learned something about computers. So my next question on this, do you think that there's a risk that these banks are going to be rehypothecating the Bitcoin that they're holding for their clients? Yeah, yeah. They're going to do whatever they do their banks. Do you think that that is, so as a whole, you know, if we, if we consider, yeah, rehypothecation is going to happen, um, their banks, it's what they do. Is this a net negative or a net positive for Bitcoin? Well, I guess it's, I think it's a net positive uh, for Bitcoin. Um, because even though boomers are going to be putting their money in Bitcoin and get the Bitcoin market, and I'm just coming up with this as we talk. So if you want to correct me or you think I'm wrong, but boomers are going to be putting massive. Would the 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 guess is that boomers will be putting massive amounts of money into Bitcoin as a whole. Mm-hmm. Not like every boomer is going to say, "Oh hell, I'm set for life for my retirement fund. Let me take a risk on this." That's not going to happen. Right. But they would throw a small amount. So as a collective, a lot of money would be thrown at Bitcoin, which would make the Bitcoin price go up. Bitcoin boomers are on. We're dying off. You know, I'm a young boomer, I guess, technically, but boomers are dying off. So within 20 years, most of the boomers are going to be dead. You know, 25 years, there'll be a few left. And that money is going to go to their kids. And that Bitcoin in the bank is going to go to their kids. And those kids will start withdrawing that Bitcoin because they don't want it in the bank. They know better. Hmm. And uh, they'll start putting their money into Bitcoin. So that's what I... That's what I'm just coming up with off the top of my head. I actually wonder if this could be... um a catalyst for the collapse of banks in the future uh, when the 
the millennials and the, the Gen Z go forward and start trying to withdraw their Bitcoin from the banks and the banks don't have all the Bitcoin to meet that demand. Um, you know, cause you can't print more Bitcoin. They can print right. more dollars all day long, but the Bitcoin right. is either there or it isn't. Right. And that's true. But then again, yeah, that's a good situation um, that you've got there. I mean, the people who aren't dealing with the banks are sitting there just happy as can be because the money that was put into the banks drove up the asset that they personally had the keys to. Mm -hmm. And some people at the end could get stuck. But as I say, as boomers start dying off, yeah, and it's going to be a few years before this would take, we'd get in this scenario anyway. It's mm -hmm. not like tomorrow banks are going to be holding custody for Bitcoin and uh, people are going to be running down there to buy it. Um, but over time it would. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, if banks can do what they do now with the dollar, you know, they, they're going to do whatever they can do with that Bitcoin, you know, as far as whether they purchase it actually or just hold the money. I think it's uh, I think it's a net positive for anybody that uh, has the gusto and the wherewithal to uh, custody their own keys now, right? If you can continue doing that into the future and, and we can make it through this point, uh, this transitionary period and get to the point where, where Bitcoin is more in demand um, by the more traditional financial institutions, which will eventually shoot themselves in the foot with it because um, they can't print more of it, right? It will destroy them. Um, well, you're, you're sitting pretty, you know, if, you, if you're holding your own keys now and, and you've got enough accumulated. Well, here's a situation for you to think about. What if um, banks are required to hold the Bitcoin and people are putting their money into Bitcoin and the banks are actually custodians of the keys. Mm -hmm. And then let's say in 10 years, we're just making up numbers here, five to 10 years, um, a lot of Bitcoin wealth is held by banks. And then Bitcoin starts becoming a world currency and the U.S. government realizes that they don't have any Bitcoin. So since the United States realizes that it's a world currency and they don't hold any Bitcoin, would they go to the banks and confiscate all the Bitcoin like they confiscated all the gold that was mm -hmm. in the lockboxes at the banks? Mm -hmm. And say, I'm sorry, it's for the good of the country. We have to take this Bitcoin as well as from, as well as from exchanges, mm -hmm. you know, because I, I think right now as it stood today, if the United States said it is a world currency and we have to have some, we don't have enough, they would just go get it, confiscate all from exchanges. Right. So would they confiscate even more because now the keys would be at the bank and would they make it that the keys have to be at the bank knowing in long-term planning they may need to confiscate it. Sure. And, and there's already kind of a precedent for this with the way central banking works with the pool of reserve assets at the central bank. Those are all reserves um, for the individual member banks, but they're all held by the Fed. Um, I, I could absolutely see that happening where the, the Fed comes along and says, we're going to manage this from now on. These are now our reserve assets. Right. Right. Exactly. Well, then you definitely want to be one of the people holding their own keys. And, and <laughs> I think maybe... you want to be no matter what. I think it goes back to the old saying, not your keys, not your Bitcoin. Sure. I and don't think that's are... a made up thing. That's a true thing. Maybe have a couple boating accidents between now and then too. I don't know. <laughs> 
Well, Gary, um, you got anything else you want to talk about? No, no. I hope that we covered some stuff that you found interesting. Yeah, totally. I enjoy it's chatting just... Bitcoin. So, I mean, yeah, that's why, I'm, that's why I, I, I always say I'm willing to be on anyone's show. I just enjoy talking Bitcoin. Yeah, it's always a good time. Yeah, you um, learn something every time you talk to someone. Totally. So, where can my audience find you and where can they learn more about BitBlock Boom if they want to attend that? Well, if they want to go find out about BitBlock Boom, go to bitblockboom.com. And on Twitter, it's at BitBlockBoom. And if they use the, if they do decide they want to come, if they use the code word COUSINS, C-O-U-S-I-N-S, that'll give them 30% off the price of a ticket. Nice. And if they want to follow me, I'm Gary Leland, most everywhere on Twitter. I'm at Gary Leland and my personal site's GaryLeland.com, which okay. I'm like updating. I haven't updated in a while. I've been updating it for the last couple of days, trying to get it back on track. So there's not a lot there. <laughs> In other words, so you might want to just follow me on Twitter. Typical boomer card. All right. Well, so we're going to... Um, hey, that links... boomer card's a strong card. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I wish I had it. I'd play it. Um, we're going to put links to all that down in the show notes. Uh, Gary, thanks so much for chatting, man. I enjoyed it. Oh, I enjoyed it completely. Thanks. All right. Welcome back. Hopefully you enjoyed my conversation with Gary. He is a fun guy to talk to. Very charismatic. Pretty old, though. Don't forget, you guys can find all of our episodes of the Bitcoin Echo Chamber at BitcoinEchoChamber.com, as well as you can find us on just about any of your favorite podcast catchers, whether that be Spotify or iTunes. We're on a whole bunch of them, and they're all listed on the website. And if you're listening on Spotify or iTunes and you want to try to get the links in the show notes, you can find those on the website. For some reason, they don't show up on a couple of the podcast catchers. So just go to the website and find the episode, and you can find all the links there. If you guys are enjoying the show, I'd really appreciate it if you subscribe or give me some thumbs up or some stars or some reviews or comments. All that stuff goes a long way to helping me grow the show and get a bigger audience with better guests. If you want to reach out to me, you can send me an email at bitcoinechochamber at gmail.com or you can reach out to me on Twitter at heavilyarmedc or you can reach out to Ben at MrCoolBP. We're always down to chat with you guys. Anything you want to talk about, our DMs are open. Don't forget to check out River if you want to get a week's worth of free zero-fee Bitcoin trades on River. Go to river.com slash BEC and you will get your first week of zero-fee trades for free with River. Don't be one of these people that's still using Coinbase in 2020. Come on, people. That's all I got for this one, guys. Thanks so much for listening, and I will see you in the next one.